Welcome to The Lightest Tread, the official podcast of Soul, where we speak to extraordinary and ordinary people who do ordinary and extraordinary things that are good for their bodies, good for the planet, and typify the soul of adventure. I'm your host, Paul Mon Brown, and my guest today is Thor Retzlaff. Thor is a skier and mountaineer who summited peaks and skied descents in all corners of the globe. He's also the co-founder of Do Good Shit, an organization on a mission to reduce the harmful impacts of human waste by delivering dignified and sustainable sanitation systems to ecologically sensitive environments and their surrounding communities. He's also the co-founder of an exciting new revolution in porta parties called Wasted. Listeners can get 15% off YourSoul.com by entering the code THOR15 at checkout. If you enjoy the podcast, please do take a moment to subscribe, rate, and review. Enjoy. Listen up, folks. It's time for the lightest trip. All right, we're rolling with Thor Retzlaff. Thanks for joining me, Thor. Paul, how you doing? Thanks for having me. Yeah, good. Um... Where are you? I'm currently in Richmond, Vermont, just outside of Burlington. Okay, cool. But you are California born and bred, right? Yeah, that's correct. I was born and raised in Truckee, California, just outside of Lake Tahoe. And have you been, have you, I mean, I'm always tempted, well, not tempted, I just blatantly will go straight into talking about the ski season before we get, get down to business. Have you had a chance to um, make the most of the craziness that's been going on in California this year? You know, um, the answer is no. I've gotten ah. multiple texts and photos from my family and friends along the lines of, that was the best ski day for the 22nd time this year. <laughs> you know, just like outrageous amounts of snow um, my house is just fully buried um, I was fortunate enough to head back uh, in December and get some good skiing in but since then I've been out east cool working on uh, exciting more more perhaps more pressing and exciting new ventures yeah that's ultimately what brought me out here was uh, building this company called wasted cool and you guys have just uh just launched just gone gone live um yeah actually so the company was originally founded in 2020 the fall of 2020 but for the sake of going live to the market we launched this week which is amazing exciting in the sense that um, these toilets you know we rent portable toilets they are now out in the field on construction sites event spaces and the like amazing Congratulations. Super Thank exciting. Um, yeah, so I'm, I'm really interested in your uh, porta potty revolution, we'll call it, um, and excited to get into that, but would like to sort of get a bit of background first. And I thought mm-hmm. I might start, it's a bit of a, it's not a commonly, you know, so Earth Day is coming up a um, mm-hmm. couple of weeks away. Um, and the conversations around Earth Day are usually a lot sort of um, cleaner, we could say, than talking, speaking about human waste, um, mm-hmm. you know, greenhouse gas emissions and plastic pollution. And um, yeah, there are a lot more sort of sexy topics for people to be focusing on. Um, yeah. But... I think this is a super interesting and important thing to talk about, the human waste issue, um, especially for people who are active sort of out, outdoor enthusiasts, adventurers, mm-hmm. you could say in, in inverted commas. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I thought I might just start off by, by grounding us in sort of a personal anecdote um, mm. So in the 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 first summer of COVID, when everybody was suddenly going outside, you know, people who weren't who who previously would have spent the whole summer, you know, just in the city here, mm-hmm. um, looking for things to do outside that felt safe, and people were going camping all of a sudden, 
Mm-hmm. And so we had a, this weekend trip camping up at Lillooet Lake, which is about three hours north of the city. We figured it'd be pretty quiet. You, there's a load of these first come, first serve campsites that are just kind of recreation sites out there. Um, we headed up on a Friday evening. By the time we got there, it was completely packed. Mm. Um, nowhere to camp. We were became sort of one of the hundreds of people just sort of parked on the side of the road, finding a, a place to pitch a tent on the side of the lake. Um, and we had this kind of slightly horrific weekend in the end, partly because of the mosquito situation. I think the mosquitoes had like just spawned mm-hmm. and they were just, it was like something out of a horror movie. Like I was in my hoodie down to my eyebrows and a buff up to my nose and long sleeves mm-hmm. and socks and gloves. And the mosquitoes were in biting my eyelids behind oh my, my spectacles. And two of my friends actually on the Monday didn't go to work, ended up going to the hospital because they were so like swollen oh. up from mosquito bites. Wow. Um, but that wasn't even the most traumatic part of the weekend for me. The most traumatic part of the weekend was the amount of human poop in the woods um, from the number of people just coming out, pitching tents on the side of the road. There aren't facilities there. And especially for people who don't have a lot of experience, um, you know, with leave no trace principles or how to effectively... um, poop in the woods you know uh mm. and i think also the the sort of attitude of like well it's just me well it's just you know um it's not that big of a deal um and there was something about the whole situation that felt like just like really wrong to me mm. um that it kind of made me feel like I didn't want to, I mean, mosquitoes made me feel like I didn't want to be there, but, but mm-hmm. it kind of made me feel like I didn't want to be a part of, of what was going on. And you support, you know, yes, people should be going outside. Yes. People should be going camping and enjoying the natural environment. Um, and getting out of their comfort zones. But the whole thing just felt a little bit icky to me because mm-hmm. of just, seeing the number of people and picturing the amount of human waste that was just being not properly disposed of or not safely or, or uh, ecologically sensitively disposed of. So mm-hmm. I wonder if you could give us a little bit of a background of your story of how mm-hmm. this issue be- became sort of um, such a big focus for you. Mm-hmm. partially glad you had that experience Um, a lot of other people I'm sure had a similar experience Mm. I'm going to start with telling you a story of the moment I realized that putting energy and effort and um, ambitious you know idea behind making sanitation something to talk about the moment that became a reality was back in 2019. My co-founder Taylor and I, we were doing what we called the toilet tour, where we were driving along the west coast of the United States, effectively taking apart toilets to learn about toilets, talking with mm-hmm. land managers, talking with users, and ultimately observing the human impact on nature with properly managed and mismanaged human waste systems. And there was this moment, I was in Smith Rock State Park, and I had gloves on. And it's going to get graphic because what we talk about, but I had gloves on, and I had a bunch of other human species on my hands. And mm. it was one of those moments when I looked up at Taylor, and it was like we were 10 feet above us looking down at each other, cleaning this toilet. And it was kind of like, what are we doing? Why are we, like, why are we here doing this? This is really weird. And it was kind of at that moment that it occurred to us that the act of cleaning that toilet and learning how our bodies work and how our, our waste should be working with nature in a more symbiotic manner, that became a reality. And so it was no longer about me cleaning that one toilet. It was about 
us and everyone that we've brought under our team since then joining forces to help build a more dignified world of sanitation, to help build a more regenerative approach to our own nutrients. Um, and so that was that moment where I was like, okay, I'm in this, you know, imposter syndrome's out the window. I'm now mm. going to figure this thing out. But to take a step back from that, how did I end up thinking about human waste as the problem it is and try to propose and implement solutions as I'm, as I'm actively doing now? And that takes us back to the fall of 2018. Um, our team ventured out to Everest Base Camp to document a really fun adventure and create videos and photos. And at the time, we had an adventure media company called Intrepid. And the idea was to you know, capture these adventures and add some kind of very specific purpose to them. And for this adventure to the Everest Base Camp, the purposeful component was to document these large pits of human waste that are at Gorg Shep, hmm. which is just below Everest Base Camp, um, where all the human waste from the expeditions and tourism ends up in these open pits. Hmm. And the reality of facing that and witnessing it was pretty visceral. Hmm. It was this realization that this is not sustainable. Climbing Mount Everest or any of the mountains nearby in two, three decades will be disgusting as it already kind of is. The mm. water quality downstream is fully contaminated. That leads to people bringing water bottles in, right? It was just a, a line item of negative externalities coming mm. from mismanaged human waste. So with that, then of 2018, our team asked ourselves, what's the solution? Jumped on the internet, found, found some great ideas, but ultimately didn't come across a solution. We didn't come across something that could be implemented and, and sustained and propelled into future, you know, future use. Mm. And so being the audacious founding crew we were, we were like, well, let's go figure it out. <laughs> and thanks to transmission from the field, Do Good Shit was born as a 501c3 nonprofit. And the do good shit is still active um, while it's in a little bit of a hibernation mode. At the time, we set off on a mission to understand and implement sustainable sanitation systems in sensitive environments like Everest Base Camp. Hmm. And it was as we started going down that pathway of understanding why our human waste is, you know, mismanaged, you know, what leads to that, that we uncovered how massive this problem actually is hmm. um and it's, it goes much much beyond these sensitive mountain environments um but as a as a entrepreneur it's hard to do something when you don't have a passion driving you every day to answer that why and so my why since the beginning for this effort in, in trying to bring you know more sustainable sanitation to the world has been to, to leave these sensitive mountain environments better and more pristine than, than we arrived there. And so, mm. um, you know, do good shit, become a 501c3. We did a project down in Torres del Paine um, at the end of 2019. But before we did that project in 2019, we had this moment where we realized we actually didn't know anything about cleaning toilets <laughs> or managing waste. And that's when we did that toilet tour. And that was a okay. really big, valuable learning experience for us as young entrepreneurs is that we need to go do the thing to figure out what the right answer was. And yeah, after doing sure. that, it really unlocked everything for us in trying to better understand what is the proper solution and what paths do we go down and how do we do this right? Because the last thing we want to do is put a wrong solution in and have the ramifications of that ripple you know, further down the path. So I wonder if you could actually if we could pause to sort of take us back to Everest and, mm -hmm. um, you know, these pits of human, like, how does that happen? Is it, is it, mm -hmm. you know, are people collecting their waste on the way and then dumping it off in this one place or, um, does it just sort of end up there via water flow or. Yeah. So you've got, um, a variety of tourism, 
mm. attracting people from all over the world to go to Mount Everest. Clearly, it's you know sure. the tallest mountain in the world, and so you have yeah. what would be the smaller percentage of people that are setting out to go climb and summit Mount Everest. And mm. there's a very specific season for that, and the human waste management practices for those people are um, contained within these expedition teams and base camp. And as you move up the mountain, there's different, uh, we'll call it vessels or practices and how you dispose of your waste, whether that's into a lag bag, which is a traditional way of carrying your own waste and your own pack, or it's a drop spot or it's a crevasse. There's a lot of different ways they get rid of your waste. Mm-hmm. Um, but speaking of Everest base camp itself, um, you've got a lot of tourism making the trek to Everest Base Camp. It's this, you know, high objective point for a lot of trekkers that um, because it draws so much attention, there's a lot of uh, lingering. And when humans hang out, we got to go to the bathroom, mm. right? And so mm. you have this, um, this density of both the climbers as well as the trekkers kind of meeting in the spot where a lot of waste ends up. And so the other aspect there is that the, the waste from the mountain um, – as it gets ported back down, it's, it gets tossed in these pits as well. Um, and there's a, there's a lot of other ways that this waste gets disposed of, but for the most part, um, there's just not a centralized solution is the unfortunate mm-hmm. reality. It's just like, there mm-hmm. isn't a place where the waste goes. There's no sewers. There's no way to just like get rid of the waste. Um, mm. and so it's, let's put it in a pit and see what happens. And so it's it's partly the sort of visceral experience um, of seeing it in in that sort of quantity and and location, but it's also partly the juxtaposition of that to what you sort of picture in your mind as this sort of beautiful, remote, untouched, sacred place. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess also informed by your own passion for for the mountains, really. I wonder mm-hmm. if you could speak to that a little bit about, you, you know, it must be, I assume, um, your real love for those, for those outdoor spaces um, that informed this desire to, to do something about it. Because, I mean, there must be countless people who've seen those waste pits or been in that environment and left and said like ah that was a nice nice holiday but uh pity about the shit pits but um yeah what are you gonna do yeah by no means am i the first to recognize and try to do something about Mm. this there's you know people have been taking note of uh human management waste human waste management systems in these areas for decades um Mm. the reality though is that just like you said after covid a lot more people started going outside well just like the advancement of technology and um, your ability to recreate in a more safe manner and just people getting out more, it's, mm. you know, the, the people, the number of people on these trails are, are drastically going up. Um, and so one thing that I like to think about is this concept of convenience, right? In my home here in Vermont, I have a toilet that's connected to a septic system and I flush my toilet and everything goes away, right? And it's very mm. convenient to be able to go to the bathroom. Contrary, you're on a mountainside and those de- that dehydrated food is not sitting well and mm. you've been trekking and all you can think about is going to the bathroom. You don't have a whack mm. bag. All of a sudden, you're in this scenario where it's a little bit primal. Like You don't really care about anything but y- your own needs of getting rid of you know, this waste in your body. Mm. And, mm. and the amount of... Um, we'll call it emergency scenarios that happen in any given mountain adds up. And when you add those people on top of each other, all of a sudden that spot that you thought was a good spot to go drop a deuce and, you know, relieve yourself and continue on your merry way is a cesspool of sorts. Mm. Right. And it's, it's that kind of convenience where you don't have that place that can dispose of it. Mother nature can't keep up. And so you hit this threshold where, the amount of people using the environment and the solution of just environment managing that waste by itself versus our, our, our need to implement a system and infrastructure to manage our own waste 
you hit that threshold and something needs to happen. Something needs to give in order for people to continue to recreate and not be looking at and climbing over other people's waste. Hmm. So, all right, let's jump, jump back forward to the, the toilet tour. Um, uh, and yeah, I mean, it's, that's, you decide as a team, like, okay, well, we, we want to figure this out. We want to figure out the solution. And the only way to start to do that is to learn. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, how, how do you go about it? And, and yeah, it's a great what do you question. learn along the way? It's a great question. Um, the impetus of the toilet tour was realizing that we just got some funding by some, some generous donors to go install a toilet down in Torres del Paine, the eighth wonder of the world, a beautiful national park in Chile. They're dealing with a huge human waste problem. We said, let's, let's try to figure this thing out. And it was that, that small voice in your mind that turned into a really big voice saying, well, what actually works? And so mm. we did some research online and we came across um, this incredible human, his name's Jeff Hill, who has a PhD in remote site human waste management. He studied it in Canada and he wrote a lot of literature on it. And he essentially devised, um, we'll call it a, you know, a, a, a simple solution for managing your waste. And in a nutshell, it's urine diversion. What that means is that you separate your urine from your feces at the drop point so that they don't come in contact. And when you do that, you can essentially enable nature to process our waste, not necessarily as waste, but as fertilizer. And so our urine, as a separated waste stream, has the same ratios of nitrogen, phosphorus, potassium as synthetic fertilizers that we produce through the Haber-Bosch process. Similarly, our, our solid waste is 80% water and has a lot of macronutrients that break down into soily hummus and the macro, microinvertebrates in the earth break that down. And so the goal of the toilet tour was to go look at these urine diversion systems that were being implemented by Jeff and his company, Toilet Tech, to understand how was that comparing to something like a pit toilet. Pit toilet is exactly what it sounds like. It's that really smelly outhouse in the state park, right? Mm-hmm. Like that's the pit toilet. And so we were trying to do a comparison and really understand, okay, what does that look like? And the result was astonishing. When you separate urine at the source and you work with nature to break down our waste, all of a sudden your waste isn't degrading the environment. It's actually supporting the ecological ecosystem there, right? You're, you're promoting growth through fertilization of the land, of the topsoil. You're promoting growth of, of you know, your soil breaking back down and becoming a soil amendment. And that simple solution was what we kind of walked away with is like, let's go install urine diversion systems in these sensitive areas. And that's really what we focused on. So can you explain to me why the separation is Mm -hmm. so important? Like what is it about them being combined that prevents the, the respective benefits of the, the, the urine and the solid matter? Yeah. Good question. Um, I'm using an anecdote real quick. You walk your dog, Mm. your dog's going to go pee and it's going to walk 10 feet and then go poop. There's a reason for that. That's very, very hmm. evolutionary oriented. Um, and nature has, has programmed us to separate our waste streams. Even if you look at our anatomy, um, we should be separating waste. Like if we were to be squatting hmm. on the ground, our waste streams are getting separated. Out of convenience, hmm. out of the toilet that we have in our house here, our waste gets combined because then you could use water to flush them both away. And so hmm. the actual chemistry behind without getting too far into the details, is that um, in feces, the urea is created, ammonia is created when urine and feces come in contact. And um, while it is natural, that is a natural compound in nature, it's Mm -hmm. an unnatural compound in um, nature's ability to break that down in a successful kind of like fertilizing compounded way um in other words like when you combine the two it creates 
a, a sludge, a, a mixture that is much harder to extract and break down further into nature. Hmm. Um, and so the simplest way to think about it is like, well, if we keep it separated, then we're on our way to having two valuable waste streams rather than what was a mixed waste problem. Fascinating to think of that in, in that way, you know, because you would, we're so accustomed, as you say, to just going in the same place um, yeah. that you would think like, oh, well, it's just natural for them to be, in, to be together, to be mixed, but just, yeah, describing it in the, in the way of, of just like thinking about your anatomy, it, it, it really does um, make so much sense that that's not actually the way that it's, that it's supposed, supposed, well, supposed to be according to natural design, you could call it. Yeah, our, our, our joke is uh, nature naturally separates our waste through anatomy and gravity. Hmm. Yeah, for sure. So um, these toilets are a, a, are a new, relatively new development. I mean, I've in the last um, more and more here in, in British Columbia and in BC mm -hmm. parks, these are the types of, of toilets that you're seeing. Um, um that do separate mm -hmm. um the the waste i guess yeah the first time i encountered one was actually on a kayaking trip to a up a, a sort of pretty deep inlet um in the coast here it's a pretty remote place next to a waterfall a little outcropping of land um mm -hmm. and there was this kind of to me kind of space aged uh outhouse where mm. you and and i'm not sure if this is how they they all operate but um you know people who've never encountered one might be thinking like well how does this actually work but essentially mm. what you have is a sloped conveyor belt mm. that's, that's sloped that's the toilet tech. forward okay and so mm -hmm. then your pee just runs off the front and solids get trapped on the conveyor belt and then you flush mm -hmm. it by pumping this conveyor belt with your foot and it pulls it backwards and sort of up this very gentle slope and it, I guess, drops it off in, in, a, in a tank or a, yeah, I don't decomposition know. Decomposition chamber. A decomposition chamber. <laughs> okay. And is that isolated from the ground around it? So that technology just described is the one that Jeff Hill and his okay. company Toilet Tech has installed in British Columbia all over the United States and those that was the primary piece of toilet technology that um, my team and I took apart to better understand urine diversion and how it worked um, mm. and the really cool thing about that toilet is that you don't have to forfeit the convenience that we are now accustomed to in using a toilet in a home for separating your waste. What I mean by that is that you don't have to pee here and go number two there. You can just use the mm. toilet and then you flush because it's separating mm. by itself, anatomy and gravity, right? Mm. And that was really important in understanding that if you ask someone to change their behavior in the bathroom, they won't listen. And we've tested this many times. Like people will pee on the sign before they listen to you telling them how to go to the bathroom. Mm. Um, but that conveyor belt is um, a really effective way to manage the waste in a separated fashion. And it depends what use case it is, but for the most part, you are able to permit those waste streams to be reintegrated back into the earth directly from the toilet itself. And so that urine stream can then be piped into the topsoil as a fertilizer. And then the solids would go into decomposition chamber, which is, you know, we'll call it, two, three, four feet in the ground, kind of contained off from the surrounding area, but it's on soil that has active microinvertebrates that break that down and it dehydrates because it's mostly water anyway. Hmm. And one of the results of this is that, um, I mean, it's all just clicking into place in my mind mm -hmm. that it must be the ammonia that would be produced by the combination of the the two types of waste that produce that terrible stink that you dread every time you, mm -hmm. you got to go um, because the system just doesn't smell nearly as bad. Exactly. And you don't need to add any chemicals 
you don't need to add some water to contain it. It's very much natural. And, and, and the, the reality is that as the solids break down, that earthy kind of hummus smell, a little bit of petrichor as the earth gets after a rain, mm. that, that's it. That's, that's what it is. That's, that's us becoming animal. You know, it's, it's participating in a more natural way. And so it isn't as gross and it, it isn't as instinctually, you know, um, you know, repulsive as it is when we combine the two. And that's for good reason. Hmm. Very interesting. Mm-hmm. So you, you, you learn what you've, what you've learned on your toilet tour. Um, you've seen, I guess the good and the bad, right? You have to, mm-hmm. you have to look at what works in, in comparison to what doesn't work. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you head off to Chile. Mm-hmm. Headed off to Chile. We were down there for about a month. Successfully installed two toilets at two different sites. Um, for as far as we know, those are both fully operational still. Awesome. Came back beginning of 2020, fired up. We're like, do good shit is the nom. Like, we're doing this thing. We know it's going to work. COVID hits. Mm. International travel gets shut down. Funding mm. dries up. We're mm. seeing a little bit of that backlash from being a nonprofit, right? We don't have any revenue streams coming in. Mm. We're sitting on all this this knowledge, you know, this fresh knowledge of finally breaking through and understanding how we can, you know, develop these systems and communicate to people and, you know, uh, propagate these aha moments where we can better work with nature. But ultimately, we're at a standstill, um, due in part to COVID. And so, during that that moment in time that we are all observing the world through a different lens, we had to introspect on our own doings and understand how could we essentially take DGS, this idea of doing good shit to the next level, um, given the fact that we can't do anything right now. And that's when Mm. this idea of um, morphing out of the 501c3 space into a benefit corporation started to, to, to become more of a reality. And what I mean by that is that, I mean, simply put, the idea was if we can create a revenue stream to support ourselves as a company, then the mm. surplus, the profits that we make can be directed into DGS to do the impact work that we set out to do in the very first place. And with that, and talking and you know doing a bunch of research, what ultimately led us to found and incorporate um, Wasted in the fall of 2020 was attending what is called the rich earth institute's urine summit and it was a three-day event in august and i bought a ticket online because i was just scouring the internet trying to learn as much as i can and it was during that event where um i met the world's leading minds on people that view urine as liquid gold. I'm not joking. It's it's remarkable what these people have done with urine, whether wow. it's pasteurizing it and applying it to hay fields to um, putting it through complex processes and turning it into building material and building tiles or um, wow. hydrogen fuel cells. Like it, like urine is very much just a a you know valuable resource. And so it was during that urine summit, hosted by the Rich Earth Institute that it all kind of clicked. We had this background in DGS about urine diversion being really valuable in working with nature. And then we combined that with this, this newfound knowledge around how valuable urine was. And the convergence point was Wasted was going to become a benefit corporation that essentially accumulated humans' waste and worked with these brilliant people to upcycle our waste into valuable resources. And the best way we could think of doing that was to start a porta potty company. It was, let's go start collecting waste by making a better porta potty experience, but also educating people that use it that, hey, every time you pee in here, you're actually just peeing gold. Thanks for donating. Hmm. Right. And, and that was very much how we started to kind of go down this benefit corporation route. And that's where we are now. And that's why this past week has been really exciting is because we're actively renting these toilets out. You know, that enables us to make revenue, that enables us to, to develop these processes to turn 
our waste into something valuable. And ultimately, we're going to scale this concept into other regions, portable regions. And what comes with that is the infrastructure of turning all of our waste streams into something uh, more valuable rather than, you know, that isn't have the value. Amazing. Mm-hmm. So, so, so cool. I mean, the, my mind goes to a, a few different, um, a few different areas. And mm-hmm. I guess you having spoken about the value, well, it, what is it exact? What is the primary use that you're going to take from, from the urine that you're collecting? Like, what are you doing with it? Yeah. What are you guys going to do with it? Do you have a, do you have a, have something in specific? Do you have a plan laid out? Yeah, so <laughs> what comes with starting a company is <laughs> all of the walls you have to break down to, yeah, to fulfill sure. this vision, right? Mm. And so we've had to make compromises to get to mm. where we are now. And what I mean by that mm. is that we're not just kicking down the gate and you know processing thousands and thousands of gallons of, of urine every day. We have to take these small incremental steps to prove it out to the people around us, to the state regulators, to the county officials that say, hey, let us teach you about why Wasted is, is taking urine and how we're taking urine and upcycling it into a more valuable state. And so hmm. our permit right now allows us to process 300 gallons of urine per week. And so you know, the, the way that goes, the nutrient cycle is what we call it. The nutrient cycle goes from a porta potty, someone uses it, we collect that waste with a porta potty truck, just like any other you see, but we have an additional tank on the side for urine. And then we take that back to our hub, which is our facility, and we offload the urine into what we call a, a urine treatment train. And from there, it goes into a pasteurization process, which is essentially heating up the, the urine to a specific point. And at that point, here in Vermont, it's considered a Class A biosolid. And so technically, we could go and apply that directly to hay, other types of land, whatever it might be. And so we're, we're working um, with strategic as, partners. Sorry, as a fertilizer? As a fertilizer, correct. As a fertilizer. An, NB, awesome. NBK fertilizer, exactly. Hmm. Um, wow. And so at that point, we can just go apply it like the Rich Earth Institute is doing down in uh, Brattleboro, Vermont. And major credit to them. They, they pioneered the regulatory pathway for the past decade here in Vermont. And so that's why Wasted ultimately decided to come and, and kind of get this porta potty operation up and running is because the legwork they've done to get us to this point now is tremendous. Mm. Um, the last step that Wasted is, is focused on doing here in, in the, the um, Burlington region is a struvite reactor. And what I mean by that is that... Um, we extract the phosphorus from the urine because this is a phosphorus-rich region. And so when you add more phosphorus, then you actually create nutrient overloading. And so by being, mm. able, being able to go to these farmers and say, hey, here is a fertilizer, sands um, phosphorus, then they're more inclined to take it because you know, they already have that in their you know, soil makeup. Um, and so that's kind of how we close it. But the, the, the main takeaway from that is that this urine treatment train can be altered to whatever region we introduce this technology to. So let's say we're in Arizona or we're down south in Florida or in California. We can go to the farmers and ask them, hey, what ratio of nitrogen, phosphorus, potassium fertilizer are you looking for? And then we can alter that in the, our treatment train and produce the ideal fertilizer they need for their crops, whether it's barley, hay, any kind of food it may look like. So, so that's ultimately where we're going is to create modular technology that is fertilizing local regions with the people that live there by collecting their waste. Amazing. So, so cool. So interesting. One of the things that, that um, jumps out about this to me, just from a, a sort of personal point of view, it's coming from South Africa, um, mm-hmm. growing up in South Africa, one of the, one of the things I did before leaving South Africa was working for a nature documentary mm. production company. And, um, one of the things we focused on and, and that I had the opportunity to do a bit of research into and write scripts about 
was uh, the African penguins, which live just off the coast of, mm-hmm. of Cape Town. Um, there are actually a couple of African penguins here in the Vancouver Aquarium, I mm. think. Um, but they're called jackass penguins. They're these sort of comical. They're called jackass mm-hmm. because they they bray. They have this like donkey-like noise that they make. And they're kind of comical because they seem so out of place, right? They're on this beautiful sandy beach with crystal blue waters and it's a hot day. And here these penguins uh, having a great time in the surf. But the story of these penguins is that they would make their nests on these rocky islands off the coast. And they would nest in these islands with or surrounded by a bunch of other um, uh, ocean predominantly ocean-faring birds, uh, gannets and mm-hmm. the like. And what would happen is that these other birds over time, using these islands as nesting sites, the guano from these mm-hmm. birds, the waste from these birds, had piled up and layered up in, in this cake, this sort of mm-hmm. thick layer on top of the, of the island. And these penguins... The way that they lived, the way that they could survive in in the heat, was they would burrow into this layer of guano and co- and create these burrows that would protect them from the heat and from the sun, and that's where they would have um, lay their eggs, where, where they'd have mm. their nests. And then what happened was in the I'm gonna I don't remember the date exactly, but sometime in sort of mid last century, people discovered these islands and this these rich deposits of guano, which, what did they use it for? Fertilizer. So they Mm -hmm. came through and basically harvested all of this guano from these islands to turn into Mm -hmm. fertilizer, which had devastating impacts on these colonies of of birds and in the natural environment because specifically the penguins, now they don't have anything to nest in to protect them Mm -hmm. from the sun. And so they're now in pretty serious danger. Um. And what I love about the parallel between what you guys are talking about and this story is the fact that like, yeah, we have our own waste. Like we can yeah. do more or less yeah. the same thing, only we don't have to do it in a way that interferes with these other natural systems and these other, you know, species and, and communities. And, you know, we can just do it ourselves. We take it from ourselves mm-hmm. when we turn it into whatever we need it to be. And there's mm-hmm. a, a beautiful elegance in that. So, yeah, I think that's very cool. I'd love to, before we started recording, you you were speaking um, a little bit about your experience in South Africa and what they were doing there. I'd love yeah. to hear a little bit more about that. Yeah, I mean, thanks for sharing that about the, the penguins. I actually didn't realize that they would burrow, but it explains why the, the guano is white and, and you know, those, those rich fertilizer deposits. You know, it's, it's yeah. another great example of why waste is actually just value. But a, about a year ago, my co-founder and I, we traveled to South Africa to essentially validate some of these assumptions we had around the value of urine. And the reason Mm -hmm. why we went to South Africa is some of the leading minds in urine as a resource are based in South Africa. And part of this is due to the fact that South Africa has a relatively significant water shortage problem. Um, as well as a fertilizer shortage problem. And the, the nature of that is that, hey, let's look at what is available to us and urine as a resource is right there. And so we visited folks in Johannesburg. We went down to Durban and ultimately Cape Town, um, visiting researchers every step of the way. And we essentially flew back home. And one of the things in our bag was this little jar of of it's a magnesium ammonium phosphate, which is fertilizer that we essentially made with our own piss. And it hmm. was like this vessel of, of a validation and hope. And we have it in our office. And it's one of those things where it's like, this works. It's going to work. We need hmm. to just continue to believe in it and know that this is the pathway. Um, Amazing. And so like that was our, our trip down to South Africa and they're making leaps and strides uh, in, in the world of, um, you know, actually exporting urine-derived fertilizer, especially with the fertilizer shortage a year ago, um, to other, other areas in need. And so um, just wow. one of the many places, along with Europe, Sweden, um, that are doing incredible work in this space. 
So going back to the the wasted to mm-hmm. you guys and, and the porter parties that you guys mm-hmm. are making. Um like I don't know if you're happy to share exactly how, how the mechanics of the toilet work. Is it the same as as the systems already described? Is it uh, how are you actually doing it? And I'm also really interested in um, what do you do with all of the poop? What do you do with the solids? Yeah, good question. Um, so to get the show running, we've partnered with some traditional porta potty manufacturers cool. to get new toilets. And what we yeah. do with those toilets is we retrofit the urinal with um, essentially a bag that is contained in the mixed waste container out of sight that separates mm. the urine. Cool. And we are fully aware that at the moment we're only gathering urine from standing humans. Mm. Okay. As we look towards the future, thinking back to that conveyor belt toilet you mentioned, where you have mm. all urine running off and the solids running off, we have plans to develop products where we can source urine from all users except hmm. we're just not quite there yet. There's a lot of complexity sure. that we need to kind of get through first. But sure. with this current product offering, we rent these toilets to our customers, you know, construction companies, event spaces, et cetera. And it operates very much like a portable toilet, except what Wasted is really focused on is beyond the, the you know, regeneration of our nutrients through our waste, we're focused on using sustainable TP. Right? We partner with cloud paper, make all our TP from bamboo. We use mm. natural enzymes instead of that blue goo, which is typically formaldehyde, a pretty gnarly chemical. Um, and we have solar vent stacks to keep the air flowing out of that cabin for construction mm. workers on a hot day. Right, And so it's really mm. taking into account the user experience inside these cabins. Mm. Um, and so that's, very, that's the product offering itself. And then from there, what we do with the waste is that We've got a certain percentage, certain percentage of it, which is just urine, and then we mm. have mixed waste, which you can think of as a traditional porta potty. And mm. so, we take our urine back to the hub, as I described earlier, and we turn that into this urine dry fertilizer. And right now, we're working with strategic wastewater treatment facilities in the region to dispose of the mixed waste um, solution. That being said, cool. we are currently making strides on turning that mixed waste into um, biochar. And so biochar is essentially, um, you think of it similar to a charcoal, but it's a nutrient-rich uh, carbon source for soil. And so where this is going is that wasted will be able to take urine and bring that to a higher state of value as a fertilizer and we'll also be able to take mixed waste where it is a porta potty could also be from other sources and turn that into a biochar, which also is more valuable than what it would typically be processed as. And so mm. the idea here is very much in the lens of let's view our waste as something valuable. For sure. Mm-hmm. Awesome. No, that's, that's super cool. And, um, yeah, just taking, um, just uh, such a different perspective on the whole experience mm-hmm. of, um, you know, using a porta potty is the worst part of, of any mass gathering. You know, it's always the, <laughs> the worst part of the day. If you go to a festival or yeah. or whatever it might be, that's yeah. always the worst part. Um, yeah. And to have. To, to be taking a sort of different approach to that, um, to not only improve the nature of the experience, but but the outcomes from the experience, um, and to so I'm interested in the in the the enzymes that replace mm-hmm. that that blue, I mean that blue goo goo. Yeah. That's hell on earth. That stuff is that's the kind of stuff that gives you nightmares. Mm-hmm. Um, how do, what, what's the deal with the enzymes and, and so uh, it's you could think of it as the question we posed ourselves is how can we neutralize the combination of urine and feces in a tank sure. as any yeah. porta potty yeah. while considering 
downstream processing. Sure. And what that led us to is using natural enzymes to neutralize the waste will maintain a, a user experience that is clean and dignified, but also allow us to have, um, you know, optimized and successful nutrient reclamation from these mixed waste streams. The contrary, when you use chemicals with the sole intention of neutralizing and, and the smell and making it for the user, it's actually really hard for wastewater treatment facilities to break down that chemical load, that, that, mm. that sludge. Mm. And so by going with more of a natural enzyme route, you're, you're you know, considering this problem holistically. We say, okay, well, mm. whatever we put in now is going to be processed down the road later. So what could we add that is actually an add downstream as well? And that's how we kind of ended up where we are now. And the, and the good part is that this isn't exclusive to wasted. There are a lot of portable restroom operators and people out there that are recognizing the harmful effects, not only to service workers, but also to the environment of using these chemicals. And so these natural enzymes are, are starting to very much pick up as a common place for porta potties. Um, but it's one of those things where wasted is just going to institute. We're going to say this is the only way to be able to, you know, mitigate the, the smells and whatnot that come from mixed waste. Awesome. Yeah. Super, super exciting. Um, I think what's, um, what, what feels, uh, relatable about your guys experience to me working for, for soul and recork is, um, the amount of time and effort that we've put into taking natural mm -hmm. cork as a as a pre-existing fantastically sustainable material mm -hmm. and and innovating around that material to to add value to it um, in order to produce uh, this a, a new material that can replace other harmful materials. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, taking something that's naturally occurring, uh, I see a lot of a lot of parallels there, and I think it's awesome that you guys are are off the ground and and underway, and and that's super exciting. And as with Recork, you know, things take time. It's taken time to to build, and but um, you you just got to start, and and you got to start mm -hmm. making those those inroads, and and start spreading the word, and that's half the battle, I think, is is getting to people getting people to understand like here's why here's why we're doing this this is why this is important this is um uh this is why it's worth your your time luckily you you have a captive captive audience i guess are you you i assume you're putting educational information on the inside of, of the oh, yeah. bodies you go you go inside one of our units and you will immediately realize that this is nothing like any port party you've ever walked into there's education materials there's beautiful graphics. There's a tree growing out of the, um, you know, the waste tank. Like we wanted to completely delight the user, so they're not even mm. thinking about the fact they're in a porta yeah. potty anymore. They're yeah. they're in an educational facility and a donation center yeah. for all we know, right? Yeah. And yeah. thinking back to what you kind of started the call with, like talking about it, I, I got to say, you know, thank you, Paul, for having me here to talk about it because the nature of this thing is that it's dirty, it's gross. But every single person on earth living right now can relate. Everyone mm. can relate. And when I think about something like soul and, you know, upcycling corks, that paralleled effort in sustainability and, and you know, waste to value is what Wasted is going to be focused on, is using, you know, tangential paralleled narratives to break down mm. the taboos around sanitation because ultimately mm. there will become a time when talking about urine as a fertilizer is going to be commonplace may mm. that be in 20 years and we look back to all of the mixed waste streams we are doing and we're going to laugh it's going to be like using fossil fuels right when apartment yeah, yeah. buildings are able to fertilize the rooftop from all of the urine that goes down to the basement that gets treated and pumped to the top like those kind of things will start to surface and we'll realize like there's always a way to do it better. It's just a matter of figuring out how to get there. Yeah, for sure. I love that. So I'd, I'd love to also just speak a little bit to your your expedition to um, uh, Amadablam. Am I pronouncing mm -hmm. that correctly? Hmm. Um, 
because that was a relatively recent uh, initiative. And so I love this, the story arc, you were in Chile and then COVID hits and then you said, okay, mm. we need to produce a, a, this, we need to approach this whole broader mission in a slightly more practical way that can generate a revenue stream so we can continue to make positive inroads in this broader topic mm-hmm. um, and mission. But then more recently, um, you did also go on on this expedition. Um, mm. So t- tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, good question. Um, so it's past November, November 2022. Um, our Do Good Shit team, our chief architect, Kobe Vardy, uh, myself, and Tenzing Sherpa, who is the local champion in Forte, which is a village along the Everest Base Camp Trek. We all gathered in Nepal to go finish the installation of a two-toilet urine diversion system in the town of Forze. And this is a structure built near uh, Gamba, which is a religious um, building that provides dignified uh, sanitation to mostly the local community because hmm. before that there wasn't any um, you know, closely accessible toilets for these these sacred events and passerby and, and the like. And so the idea of this trip in November was to um, go and finalize this structure and pair that with a celebration. It comes back to the 2018 idea of adventuring with purpose, right? And so while we put closure to finishing this, this toilet structure, Tenzing Sherpa is a National Ge- Geographic expedition guy. He's been up Everest multiple times. He's climbed Amma Blanc. Like he's from the region. He is a native Sherpa. And this is the language he speaks at the mountains. And so as this idea kind of surfaced, we said, hey, what, why don't we go climb Amma Blanc to, to celebrate installing a, a you know a, a DGS toilet in, in this town. And all of a sudden that was in motion. And we all loved the idea. And so that's exactly what we did. We, we finished the installation, and then we set out to go climb Amada Blanc. And the results of that was a successful summit, a really beautiful expedition. Um, couldn't ask for a, a better team and learning experience. Um, but it is that, that piece of, you know, you work hard and then you celebrate the work you do. I think it's really important to, to you know, continue to find kindling to burn that passion for why we do what we do and being able to go put those year and a half of work into building this toilet and then go stand with the people that we worked so hard with on top of Amada bomb it's something really beautiful and it's something I want to replicate and it's something I'm going to do again but but that's just the idea of adventuring with purpose is it's strong it gives you a very good north star for why it is that i go and clean these toilets and do what i do is like that that is what fires me up and you know on that note you also see other things like amada bomb has a serious waste problem mm. and so you know one of the things on my list is how do we solve amada bombs human waste problem on those really tight ridges in mm. the snowpack you know there's you're gonna run to other things but yeah, I was I was fortunate to have some support from Seoul to go out and execute on this project and you know have a lot of fun doing so and tie out a year and a half worth of effort into this DGS project and ultimately feel really really satisfied with doing good and and adding purpose and uh, adding purpose to the work I do. And we were delighted to be able to um, get some comfort in your boots on on the way up. Definitely. Oh my gosh. Um, Got them in all my shoes. <laughs> I love, I love my sofa beds. Let me tell you. Awesome. Actually, on that, on that note, just because we we're here, I got foot surgery in twenty twenty one. I had a broken foot for a couple of years, and I was really having a hard time getting back into it. And after talking with y'all and, and finding the right foot bed and being able to train in my hiking shoe for Ama with, um, it was the MetPad Thin one Mm. um it completely changed how i was walking right and it's something so small but you do what's right for your feet and your back your body your feet everything adjusts and your body listens and so 
there was a moment in time where I was a little bit uh, tentative around how my body would stand up to high altitude mountaineering. But thanks to that training and thanks to having those mountaineering boots, I was actually in really good shape and I didn't think about my toe much at all. Awesome. Love that. Love to hear it. Mm-hmm. All right, Thor. Well, um, yeah, is there anything else that you'd like to mention or add? Wait, people can find you on, on um, yeah, what's the best way for, for people to, to reach out or Well, um, first, first plug for Wasted. If you need to go rent a portable toilet, Wasted.earth. Yeah. You go find Wasted. us. You go, yeah. Awesome. We've got a lot of uh, awesome content going up there. Um, we're going to be launching some new kind of, um, you know, storytelling initiatives this year, especially now that we're live in the market. Um, you can find me on Instagram, Thor Rets Laugh. Uh, Do Good Shits also on Instagram. Um, reach out if you have questions. Um, I guess closing thought is that, you know, it's only waste if you waste it, whatever hmm. that is. You know, it's all perspective. Nature doesn't waste anything, so... If you think something's wasteful, maybe look at it from a different perspective. For sure. Whether that's wine corks or your own pee. Whatever it is. Yeah. Love that. <laughs> yeah. All right. Sweet. Thanks, man. Well, um, appreciate it. And, and all the best with uh, all of your endeavors. And look forward to to seeing what the future has in store for you guys. And uh, hopefully in the not too distant future, I'll be... Um, yeah, I'll never have to be in a stinky blue sludge porta potty yeah. again. <laughs> Appreciate it, man. Thank you, Paul. And thanks to the whole soul team. Awesome. Thanks, Thor. Mm-hmm. Thanks again to Thor for joining me. Don't forget that if you'd like to try the footbeds that Thor uses with metatarsal support built in, you can get 15% off at yoursoul.com by using the code THOR15 at checkout. Have a good one.